Welcome to the sermon podcast of Faith Lutheran Church in Oregon, Wisconsin, proclaiming the historic faith of Christ crucified and the promises of God that our faith clings to. For more information, visit us online at faithlutheranoregon.com. Transfiguration is uh, one of my favorite accounts in Scripture. I find it to be immensely comforting in the face of upcoming, oncoming uh, difficulties and trials. I want to zoom in on what Peter, James, and John heard the Father saying uh, on that mountain, then broaden it out to understand why the transfiguration of Jesus is, is really so important for us in our lives today. Uh, Peter, James, and John are, are given this wonderful epiphany uh, that is manifestation or revealing of the Lord's glory. And Peter, obviously, wants to stay there. I don't blame him. Uh, there they have Moses and Elijah, the two most significant men in the Old Testament, representatives in the entire law, Moses who wrote the law, uh, the Torah, and, and, and Elijah considered to be the greatest of the prophets. They have them there with them. They see the Lord in all his glory, shining brighter than the sun. And above all, on that mountain, they are... Well, they are above all. All the problems down there in the world, they've, they've left those behind. Just seven days ago, just over six days ago, uh, Jesus had told them it was necessary for him to go to Jerusalem to suffer and die. And Peter at that time had, had begun to rebuke the Lord for talking like this. But now they're here. Let's just forget about all that, that negative stuff and suffering and and death talk. And so Peter says, Lord, it's good for us to be here. If you wish, let's, let's make your three tabernacles, one for you, one for Moses, one for Elijah. Let's stay here. A.K.A., Lord, isn't this better? Isn't this better than what you were talking about? But then we read, while he was still speaking, behold, a bright cloud overshadowed them. Can you imagine that, a bright cloud? And suddenly a voice came out of the cloud saying, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. Hear him. Hear him. Not look at him, but hear him. I, I think these two words are key to understanding this epiphany of our Lord, this transfiguration. I'll explain why in a moment. I was in Mankato uh, earlier this week for a board meeting planning our Synod's uh, youth convention. And I was able to attend chapel at our synod's college. You know, I normally don't get that many opportunities to be a hearer of God's word like you do. Uh, just a handful of times per year do I get to sit in, in a pew. Uh, but I came to the conclusion after sitting in uh, chapel the other day that uh, pastors are um, terrible hearers. And I don't mean that preacher or anyone else. I mean me. I was sitting there listening, but I was thinking during the sermon, well, I know this account already. I was thinking, well, I would preach this differently. I even thought, well, I'm not getting much out of this. Pastors are terrible hearers. <laughs> I was not hearing. I wasn't actually hearing or receiving the words that were being spoken to me, and they really were to me and for me, but I wasn't really hearing them for me. I'm probably not alone in this. 
Now, we do the same thing, in, not just here, but in our everyday conversations. Right? When someone is talking to me, instead of hearing them, I'm thinking about what I'm going to say next. Right? We are naturally egotistical. We think about ourselves, our needs, our thoughts, our words, our cleverness. And when we do this with God's word, instead of receiving the very word spoken to me, we're thinking about our response to it. Right? The very idea of getting something out of God's word is focused on the wrong thing. It's focused on the reaction, my reaction. Right? Just like my, my, like my tendency, yeah, maybe I've heard this lesson before, this has come before, but that doesn't mean it's not good for me to hear again. And in fact, when it comes to God's word, we need to hear it again and again, and again. Because God's word is not mere information. Not mere information. It's comfort. I think about this. Men fighting a war, a battle, need to be reminded again and again what it is they're fighting for. They need to be told what's at the end. And their general might have to remind them a million times what's important and tell them to not give up he might repeat the same thing over and over and over again. For them to think, ah, I've heard this already, would be foolish. In the same way, God's word is not mere sound bites of information that I hear once and I never need to hear again, I'm good. I need God's word to take root in my heart, to take root in my heart, to give me comfort as I go about my daily struggle My daily struggle against sin, against the devil, against death. That's what Peter needed. Going up that mountain, Peter was more interested in his own thoughts and his own words about Jesus than Jesus' own thoughts and words about him. Jesus needed to transfigure Peter. Because what's going to happen in about 40 days from now is that Jesus would be crucified. And the disciples would face persecution, the worst persecution they had yet experienced. Peter especially will be tried. Jesus says later to Peter that Satan had asked to sift Peter as wheat. The foe will accuse and assail Peter. Peter will be accused of being a disciple of Jesus three times. He'll be threatened. And eventually Peter himself will face the same death as Jesus. Is Peter ready for all of this? Are any of the disciples? Are we? Are we ready for persecution and even death for Jesus? What's going to happen when they go down the mountain? It had already been a trying six days for Peter and the other disciples. If they go on like this without any change, without any transfiguration, would they have succumbed to testing, to doubt, to despair and unbelief? Peter, as of yet, was focusing on his experience. He doesn't want to suffer. He doesn't want Jesus to suffer. He doesn't want the cross. But sufferings must come. The cross must come. Without the cross, there is absolutely no peace, no joy. There is nothing but suffering without the cross. Jesus had told him, if anyone desires to come after me, Let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. So what will sustain Peter when the cross comes? What will sustain Peter when sufferings do come? 
He can't live on the mountain and pretend everything is okay forever. When suffering comes to you, what will sustain you? Whenever you have a difficult decision to make, whenever you have a burden to bear, when you have a temptation to overcome, when you have a sin to repent of, when you are facing your last moments, what will sustain you? You We might look around in those moments and see only chaos and death, but the words of Jesus speak a different story. From the cross comes life. Hear him. Hear him. Hear the word of God. Hear the words of Jesus and intuit them. Hear what God promises you. In hearing, by the power of the Holy Spirit, these words take root in our heart. And so getting something out of it is the least of our concerns. God's word begins to work in us at a deeper level than we could even imagine. And so that as we journey with Jesus to his death and eventually to our own death, he attends us through his words. And we're reminded of these stories that we know that we've heard before. And this is a benefit of God's word that we maybe don't speak enough of. Comfort and courage to carry our cross and follow Jesus. So what comfort do we have as we're facing whatever cross is before us? I want you to pay attention to what's just happened at the transfiguration. In the presence of the Lord being revealed in all his glory, these New Testament saints, apostles, Peter, James, and John, all have fellowship with those of the old, Moses and Elijah. As St. Luke's account actually tells us that Moses and Elijah were speaking with Jesus about his death, about his cross. The most important thing that, that Moses and Elijah, of all people, have to talk with Jesus about It's his death, the very thing that Peter didn't want to hear about or talk to Jesus about. But how how do Peter, James, and John know that that's Moses and Elijah? How do they know who they were? It's not like they had photographs back then. They're they're separated by more than a thousand years. But they simply knew Moses and Elijah. They have union with them. They have you might say, a communion with them. What they're experiencing on that mountain is the communion of saints. They are with saints who have died and yet who live, who have life as a result of the resurrection, which only comes after Jesus' death. So what exactly are they experiencing on that mountain? Is it not heaven? Are they not experiencing heaven on the mountain? I, I think in all the places in Scripture, uh, if you want to see what heaven is like, this is, this is the closest you can come in Scripture to a picture of what heaven is like. It's not heaven. Being in the presence of the Lord, being enveloped by the glory of God, uh, being surrounded along with the communion of saints. Jesus has allowed them, Peter, James, and John, to experience heaven so that they might know what awaits them as they go down the mountain to their crosses and trials and suffering. And so now they go down the mountain trusting the Lord's words. Peter will later confess this about God's word and his transfiguration account from 2 Peter, which we read as our epistle. He says, 
we have the prophetic word confirmed, which you do well to heed, which we do well to heed, as a light that shines in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. What do we rely on when suffering like darkness comes? We rely on the light, the word of God, that seeps into and shines in our hearts so that we may know Jesus. And in knowing Jesus, we will know the dawn, and we will know the dawn will rise when the morning star rises. The darkness will not last forever. After the cross comes the resurrection, and here in the transfiguration, Peter, James, and John get a glimpse of that resurrection of heaven. But so do you. So do you. Notice how the text began. After six days. That's not in, inconsequential. Uh, God never says anything uh, just willy-nilly. God, God intends every word that he says. So what comes after six days? Seven. It's a week, right? Every week, we get a glimpse of heaven. Again, what is heaven but the communion of saints in the presence of God, surrounded by the glory of God? We have that every six days after every six days here in the Lord's Supper. I have to read you a commentary on this from Fred Lindemann. It's, just, it's so beautiful. I can't, I can't uh, preach it any better than he does, so let me just read this for you. He says, after six days, six days have elapsed since by our presence in the house of God, in the midst of our Lord's disciples, we made our confession like Peter last Sunday. Today on the seventh, the Lord leads us up into a high mountain apart to be transfigured. We have come out of six days of labor and after a wearisome week in the world. And we may find it a little strenuous to follow the Lord Jesus to the mountaintop and see him transfigured in the holy sacrament. But if we this morning shake off our drowsiness, we will have a glorious experience. In the Holy Communion, our Lord takes us out of the turmoil of a busy, noisy world and leads us to a quiet mountaintop that he may give us a bright vision of a better land. The glorified Christ is present here. The glorified saints stand before him and sing their song of victory. With angels and archangels, with all the company of heaven, we laud and magnify his glorious name, praising him and saying, Holy, holy, holy. As we sing, we receive with the mouth of our body the seal and unfailing assurance that the peace of heaven and the glory of the saints is ours even now and even here. We are even now a part of the company of heaven. We sing with Moses and Elijah the praises of our Lord. Verily, we are on the mountaintop. At no time are we closer to heaven than in the moment of communion with our Lord and King. How is that for comfort? At no moment are we closer to heaven than the moment of communion with our Lord and King. Hear what God promises. Hear what God gives to you, all so that you might be strengthened and comforted to journey homeward with Jesus. Hear him. He will attend you as you take up your cross and follow him. In Jesus' name, amen. Glory be to the Father and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, 
as it was in the beginning, is now and ever shall be forevermore. Amen.